there's never been a better time to change jobs or renegotiate your current contract in veterinary medicine. This week, we want to talk about some of the things you should be looking for, some of the challenges you might encounter, and how both employer and employee can be protected this week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And it's no secret, if you've wanted a job in veterinary practice, now is the time. It seems like every practice is trying to hire. They can't hire the people they want or as many people as they want. And so we're seeing a lot of people shift and get really amazing offers. But we're going to talk about what really is a great offer. What are some of the things that we're hearing out there? What are some of the, the practices that need to go extinct when it comes to leveraging these contracts? Before we get into this wide-ranging conversation, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, holy cannoli, I can tell you right now, I I have yet to encounter a clinic in the past year who didn't ask me, hey, you know anybody that wants a job? <laughs> I had the last couple conferences I've been at, I've had several veterinarians come to me and just say, like, I'm I'm here looking for technicians. Like, I don't need the CE. I don't want to be in public, but I literally need to find people to come work for me. And I'm here personally, physically trying to find them. Yeah, and I'm getting email solicitations every day saying, hey, Dr. Ward, you want to come work for us? You want to go there or do that? And I'll tell you, you know, viewfinders, it's really creating an interesting dilemma for both sides of the equation. Because first and foremost, let's say you're in a clinic right now and you're reasonably happy, but, you know, you're like, eh, you know, grass is a little greener over there. Now's the time to actually go inspect that yard, in my opinion. But on the other hand, from where I'm sitting as a practice owner, Becky, I've got to make sure that I'm able to offer jobs and benefits and wages and all the things that we love about our practice in a sustainable fashion. Because if I hire you today and give you an exorbitant amount of compensation, am I going to be able to pay for it you know, tomorrow or if times get lean? That's really a big question I've got. Sure. And we've talked about this before in the past where what happens when somebody finds out that that one employee got hired on at some major, huge bonus desperation right. situation. I've heard tons of technicians feeling really frustrated about sign-on bonuses and hiring bonuses. We've talked about that ad nauseum and how that can affect the the staff that's currently there. Um, but at the end of the day, the shortage is like a major crisis situation. And I think those of us in the in the industry are saying, you know, to, to people who are currently in a clinic, there's never been a better time to find a job, change your job, get a raise, renegotiate. Like now is the time to be an employee. It is. And, and Becky, one of the things, too, I really want to impress upon the viewfinders. I think what's happened now is there's this an era of transparency that I've never seen before. It's like right now, if you are curious how grass the green is over yonder, you can do it, right? And there's electronic communications and job postings. So I will tell you, even if you are super happy where you are right now, you owe it to yourself to kind of look at what's available. Because Becky, I think that the profession is only going to benefit by improving the working conditions, the compensation, the benefits, and so forth for our employees. I think that's really going to be the secret to long-term success. So I, I, I am a fan of kind of, you know, hey, let me take a look over there just, just out of curiosity. You know, I tell people regularly, you should be interviewing. You should be keeping your resume up to date um, just because of keeping those skills fresh, feeling wanted, feeling like you're good enough, feeling 
needed. Um, keeping your options open. Uh, work is not a family. I don't care how many times they tell you. It's a work family. It's Nope, it's not. They're, they're the people that pay you so you can live with your actual family and take care of them. So, yeah, but maybe I'd rather not live with my actual family sometimes. But anyway, that's, <laughs> well, that's another I, story. <laughs> oh, well, you've, you've only got your wife left. You got rid of your kids. I mean, oh, yeah, look out, true. Laura. I'm talking about out. extended family. You know, there's always the crazy uncle out there or aunt or whatever. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, so, you know, I, I just think like work family is not, you know, what yeah. it actually, it's, it's a, it's a misused term but to your point what is happening and it's really exciting is there is um a lot of people beating the drum and saying like competitive wage well what is it hey you want me to be fully transparent in my interview and my resume then i want you to be fully transparent why should i waste my time on an interview when i know you're not going to pay me what i need to get paid hourly but you won't put that in your ad you just say it's competitive so um people are demanding to know what is competitive put it in writing put it on paper make it clear um because then i know you're not hiding it from your employees then i know it's not a per person trying thing. It's it's a standard system of hiring within your clinic. So um, there has been a lot of changes and a lot more transparency. And I think it's become sheer demand. Yeah. And, and I love this, this viewfinders, because this is a conversation that we couldn't have had or would have been more difficult to have 20 years ago. Right. And that's just because I'm going to be Frank, I mean, I think that the older generation just wasn't, you know, th this was a lockdown mentality, you know, it was a don't talk about your pay or I'm going to fire you. And we've got a non-compete clause for 100 miles for 20 years. I mean, you know, yeah. there was a lot of nonsense that made it restrictive to this conversation, quite frankly. And, and even if those things weren't legally enforceable, Becky, it still chilled the conversations, right? So today we're in this era where people, number one, I think the biggest thing is just social media and, and digital communications, because suddenly now you can find out in California, like, hey, so how's it like there in your clinic? Like, what do you get paid? And, and people answer, right? Which they should. And and, and that help is very helpful. But at the other end of this thing too, Becky, I do want to come back once again to, are some of these wages and benefits sustainable? And that's really, I, I, I'm becoming more and more concerned that, like you said, sometimes it's these one-offs, like a clinic is so desperate to hire that they, they over- offer and promise. And then what I fear is that what happens in two or three years if the economy takes a slightly downward shift? Like that's, I, I just want to make sure we do this in a sustainable fashion, something that's healthy for the long-term progress of the profession. Does that make sense? Yep. I will say this though. <laughs> Caveat. <laughs> if you don't know what that looks like for your business, then you yeah. aren't doing a good, good job at running a business. And that is the problem that I see with so many clinics is it's like this person who loves veterinary medicine, buys a building and fills it with cool things and amazing people and has zero idea what it really actually takes to a dollar amount every day running the business side of things. So I'm like, if you are offering things today that are not sustainable in 20 years and you are not doing a good job at your own business practices. Now, it, obviously things can change in 20 years that you couldn't have foreseen, but it's like so many people are running their clinics day to day. And the fact that they're doing that is part of this thing that is destroying the industry, I think, because they don't know how much money it takes to yeah. run their clinic. They don't know how much savings they have to put away. Like the numbers game is not their jam. So they're out there just trying to do the best medicine that they can and get enough people in and out because they think that that's what makes the money. And it's so unfortunate because these people are bleeding into hiring. They're bleeding yeah. into other various areas of running a practice that could be so much more efficient. And I think that is one of the biggest problems with our industry and the hiring situation that we're in. 
All right, so the first thing I want to make sure that the viewfinders are aware of is know what is a good, reasonable, generous salary and benefits package in your area, right? So you owe it to yourself, in my opinion, to go out there and find, as Becky's saying, what, what is it, you know? Because I think a lot of times we just don't know, right? Because we've been siloed away in our little independent practices and we just have no clue what the clinic across the town offers. So now's the time, in my opinion, right? So first and foremost, the first thing is wage benefits. The second thing, though, Becky, that can be a little bit more tricky is actually looking at sort of the working conditions, right? Because I think that's a really important element of a successful job, right? I mean, so, so Becky, what are some of the things that you're advising people when they're saying, well, maybe I am going to take another job. Their pay is, is extraordinary. It's much more than I'm getting now. But there's got to be a follow-up and to say, well, okay, well, what does that job look like? So I think the biggest thing that people need to do, and I, I'm accusing businesses, right? But individuals don't know how much money they need to run their life. Individuals yeah. don't know what aspects are needed, it, whether it be, okay, childcare. Then maybe you can take $3 less an hour for a business that is really flexible in uh, like letting you bring your kid to work or, or leave early or whatever it is you need to do. Uh, you know, I, I think if we don't have our own personal missions, visions, values spelled out and clear, uh, like it's that whole, if you don't know what you stand for, you fall for anything, right? And right. so- if you don't know what is the most important non-negotiables bottom line for you, what you need and have to have, then you can easily get swept up in the whole, well, we offer this, we have this, we've got this, and um, all of that beautiful things on paper without really understanding if that's going to fit your life for real. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, viewfinders, my mentor, uh, the great Dr. Bob Lewis, who largely responsible for a lot of what I am today, and certainly as far as like being, you know, a published, you know, practice management type guy, he, he made us do an exercise our sophomore year in vet school. And remember at the same time we were starting this thing called the Veterinary Success Club, which kind of later morphed into the VBMA. But what we did was we made a personal budget. Now, I had never done this, right? Yeah. I've never done this. I mean, I'm in college the whole time. It's like, gosh, I'm just trying to get enough money to go buy beer on the weekend, right? That's, that's a plus on my budget. But, you know, he made us sit down and really look at living expenses. Like we took the areas that we wanted to live. What was rent? You know, what would it cost to, to buy a house, car payments, so forth, insurance, all that stuff. And it, it was an eye-opening experience. And then fast forward to a true story. So I, I take a job uh, out of vet school, right? And so I take my budget to me during that first negotiation, the person offered less than my budget said I needed. And so yeah. I was able to bring that document and say, here you go. This is what I have to have, right? I mean, I, I can't take anything less than that. And I was able to get that match. Now, sadly, as my personal expenses increased the next year, we weren't able to reach an agreement. So I only worked there for 14 months, but you know, yeah. and then I started my own clinic because I was like, Hey, I'll take a chance <laughs> with that. But you know, right now, what Becky's saying is so important, like do a personal budget. And I know that is so unsexy and boring and tedious and like, oh my gosh, really? I have to like list out how, how many times I want to go to the movie? You do. Because that is a great starting point for that first part of the conversation, which is how much money do you need, right? Because Becky, people just like, I, we were factoring in retirement back then because we knew as independent practitioners, I was never going to have a pension. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for those experiences that Dr. Lewis, you know, put us through. It really shaped. And I'll tell you, my wife, Laura, of course, who is, you know, not in vet school, but, you know, we were together at that time. And, you know, she was, she, boy, let me tell you, that woman runs by budget. And she used to, when she would do her few practice management articles and lectures, she would always say, run your business by budget. And she did it. 
Yeah. I mean, and it, it just makes sense, but it's like your business or your life or whatever. I, I think that's the problem is you're right. Finances are super boring, but I do consider them part of my self-care lecture. There's something that I talk to people about because if you don't know what you need to make, if you don't know what your bottom line is, what happens is you take the job, you think it's great, but then you start to resent it because you can't pay your bills. Right, right. And the hard part that I've had to say to people is maybe veterinary medicine doesn't maybe then you can't stay in this field. Maybe then you have to have two jobs like it is up to you. You have to make a certain amount of money every, you know, in every day to run your life. And then you could choose how you're going to do that. It may mean you have to move somewhere to make that kind of money. So, again, Personal missions, visions, values count because if you're living somewhere you absolutely positively will never leave because it means so much to you, then that has to count more than other things. I think this is an area where we really, really, really could do a lot better by ourselves and keep ourselves from getting into trouble. Because like you said, you went into the interview, they offered you a dollar amount and you were able to say, hey, I my personal budget says I've got to make this an hour. And, and it's not like, oh, well, that's not quite going to cut it. Can you do any better? And now we're just throwing darts at dartboards trying to see what that number is going to be that makes everybody emotionally happy instead of very clearly hitting a number you need to make. Right. And what was remarkable about that viewfinders is like, I did have it printed out on a little spreadsheet thing that we had from the university. And there was no arguing, right? I mean, that person realized, okay, this person has done their homework. They're prepared and they know what number they need. And so it does aid you. And I apologize, Becky, I kind of got off track a little bit. So, right, guys, budget, knowing what a, a good wage is, don't be afraid to ask across town or across state or across the country to find out what that looks like. But also, Becky, I, wait, I just want to throw, sorry, I'm interrupting <laughs> no, you. No, I want no, to I throw in there that the going wage for veterinary technicians is still not a living wage. Right, right. So when you Thank say you. check the going rate, I'm like, actually, please just check the living wage. Good point. And if the living wage is not the average wage of technicians in your in your area, please don't lean into the fact that you can pay them less to live. If you are not paying a living wage for your area, then you are running it on your employees back. Okay, that's right. Yeah, and she's absolutely right. And I will tell you this, Becky, what I am seeing, the reports that I am seeing across the nation is that the inflation in veterinary wage is far outpacing that of vet tech and vet supports. Surely. I mean, surely. I mean, because at the end of the day, they can get through the day without us, right? Everybody says, oh, we can't do our job without our vet tech. She, yes, she can. It's just (laughs) twice as much work half as much productivity, but you can do what we can do. It just isn't efficient. So I think what's happening is it's like we're having to pick and choose, and that's a big problem. And kind of just touching back on that living wage thing, um, (laughs) Carrie Journey has an amazing lecture and content um, with with Not One More Vet um, that she presented some great numbers that, that show you know, technicians are happiest at $21 an hour. For a lot of people, that's like a blowing minds, right? But right. like when we look at a living wage, um, it's actually a little less than a living wage for the majority of for the average area. Um, and that at technicians at like I think it was like twenty one or twenty two dollars an hour, even if that wasn't you know top or bottom for the area, that was where they could live, live happy, and stay the longest at their job. Um, 
I believe a living wage is is like 17. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, we're really, really looking for very little more than that. But there are actually studies out there that show at what dollar amount technicians are the happiest and, and will want to stay. And so I just want to say that that science and that data is available. You also don't have to guess at those numbers. Right. And, and again, you know, I know we've brought this up on our on, on other podcasts, Becky. I mean, RNs in North Carolina were making like, you know, 60, 70, $90,000 a year. So, you know, there's, yeah. Yeah, we, you can ask half the technicians who left our profession to go be nurses. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, you know, viewfinders, what we're talking about. But again, I want to get back to the other part because the yes. money aside, and that's going to be a personal decision and how much homework you want to do. That's, we got it, right? So the money is one thing. The second thing are the working conditions. And, and I love that Becky just touched on something that bears repeating. And that is what I'm seeing so often for veterinarians, Becky. And again, you know, I interface more with, with vets, you more with vet techs, because that's what we do. But I'm getting these more and more of these young vets calling me or emailing me or, you know, messaging me and they're saying, Hey, I'm being offered this amazing job, you know, $160,000 starting out, you know, and it turns out it's like them in a little franchise model type thing. <laughs> and it's like mm. two people, right? So I love what you said a second ago, Hey, it might be twice as much work. So I yeah. think that you've got to factor in, if you're a veterinarian, you need to focus a little bit beyond that top line number because you might be, as Becky said, doing twice the work, you know, yeah. because you don't have any staff to leverage or so forth. So Becky, again, getting back from a vet tech perspective, I mean, that's one element, but what are the other things that make a great workplace that might make it, might tip the scales in favor of you going to that new job? Utilization. Utilization. Yep. yep. It, 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 easy. One sentence or like one word sentence, bottom line, one of the number one reasons technicians leave their practices are not utilized. So I don't want to get paid $50 an hour to hold a dog either. Right. Like, and right. I don't want to get paid $7 an hour to do what I'm trained to do. So there is this balance and utilization is, is, is number one. I say it all the time. I'm not a consolation prize. I, if you don't know what veterinary technicians are trained to do in school, then go pull up the CVTEA essential skills list and learn because it is a lot of the things that you're not letting them do right now. The best experiences I've ever had in clinic were working with veterinarians who fully utilized me. Yeah. Um, there's no reason vets are unblocking their own cats. There's no reason that, you know, anesthetic protocols are being written by DVMs. There's no reason for most of the clinical round stuff that's being done to be done by veterinarians if there are technicians trained, credential technicians trained in, in the vicinity to do them. So um, if you know you can't pay as much as you would like to, then utilize them twice as much. Yep. I love that. And again, this goes back to my side of the profession, the veterinarians, because if I've got people like Becky is describing, I'm going to be able to produce more. I'm going to be able to do more. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's going to be a more meaningful job because I'm actually focused on the things that I enjoy the most, which is, you know, this is just how we ran it, you know, 30 years ago. And, and I'll tell you, Becky, you really do need to examine the workplace environment. And, and so one element is just staff to doctor ratio, responsibility, you know, utilization as, as Becky just made a good case for. But the other part too is morale, right? I mean, you, sure. you need to somehow lay eyes in that clinic, in my opinion, Becky, because you can't, you know, you can't do this over the internet and determine if it seems like a happy, harmonious workplace. So any tips for, for a vet tech or a veterinarian walking into a clinic to gauge, you know, Hey, whether or not this is going to be a, a tense workplace or one where everybody's got each other's back. Oh yeah, for sure. So, you know, first and foremost, trust your gut, pay attention to the energy. I always yeah. talk about, you know, I want to hear laughter. I want to see people getting along. 
Another thing I think people don't tend to do is ask why the position's open. Nice. So, uh, you know, establishing whether this is growth or replacement or why is this position open in the first place? It's funny because I, it, at least on the technician side, so frequently I feel like technicians come in with this mentality like you're doing them a favor by giving them a job. Where I like try really hard to help technicians understand and remember like, no, 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 this is a two-way street and and you're trying to decide if you're good for each other. Right. And so um, I think asking those hard questions. The other thing I love to talk about is longevity. So how long has the rest of the staff been here? You know, and, and there's always this little asterisk, right? Your little caveat. So if most of the staff is new and you have like one or two people who have been there for 25, 30 years, right. chances are those are the ones running everybody out exactly. and they're going to be your clinic divas and they're terrifying. Yep. Uh, but if you have a lot of longevity on, you know, the majority of the staff and like the, the turnover rate is fairly low and the majority of the turnover is because they either, um, you know, moved on to a higher position or went to college. Asking about their turnover, asking other employees what their favorite part about working there is, asking about some feedback from exit interviews. Okay, all of these questions are are fully eligible and on the yeah. table when you're employ when you're interviewing your potential new employer. It's a two way interview. Yeah, and one thing too, I'll add just and we've talked about this on the podcast multiple times. So definitely go back and check out some of these. You know podcast we've talked about being asked to do things you don't agree with, that you have a moral, ethical, or, or even just a scientific basis for objecting to. You really do need to ask those questions. So if you have a flashpoint, a trigger point, something you don't want to do, whether it's declaw, whether it's, you know, cer certain training aspects, whatever, you need to make sure that at that interview process that you go ahead and directly ask, ask that. Don't, don't just wait and say, you know, I'll, I'll figure that out later. Because like when it comes to things like declawing Becky, I mean, that can really, we, we've talked about this with lots of different people, yeah. you know, that can ruin your job experience. So my dad's, I'm, I, I'm, you guys can all guess how many things I'm about to say that I don't like. <laughs> and we know my dad doesn't listen, so I can talk about it. My dad's Boston Terrier just had dystocia. No one has oxytocin. They didn't have a pup count. And she labored it all night and didn't advance, right? Wow. So then they had to find a random clinic that could see the dog because the regular veterinarian said, we have one vet on staff right now. There's no way we can deal with the dystocia. Okay. All of that history yeah. to tell you that I didn't know the clinic. So I went online to just like look and see who they were and if I knew anybody Ear cropping pictures, literally on wow. their menu, wow. our services, like, please come admire the pictures of the ears that we chop off on a regular basis. <laughs> and I was instantly like, ah! you know what I mean? Like, I wanted to die. But when you were just saying that, check out their website before yeah. you even apply. Like, immediately I would have known I would not have wanted to work at this clinic because they do ear cropping and it makes me uncomfortable and, and whatever. So like sometimes those services, you don't even ask about them. They're on your website. <laughs> right. So check out the website, check out the Facebook, check out the social media, because I also think you can get a good feel of the context of the environment from social media. Are they posting lots of pictures of the staff in costume on Halloween right. and lots of educational content for um, their clients, or is it like three times a year they post a um, will be closed due to a meeting or something? Right. I think that is actually a great way to kind of tow the water a little bit before you even give them the time of day. 
Well, you know, Becky, it's funny because over five years ago, we had a, a, a podcast episode where we talked about social media stalking, you know, a prospective employer, you know, and, and we talked about it in a variety of contexts, but it, it holds true, right? I mean, it's probably more true today than it was five years ago because, you know, and if they don't have a social media presence, that also should tell you something, you know, is that a clinic? But I really want you, you know, viewfinders, when you're, whether you're a tech, whether you're an assistant, whether you're a veterinary associate, you do need to get some of that basic, you know, what, what what do they believe in, right? What are their practice policies? You need to establish that before you just start to go further down the, the road, I think. With the okay, so can I flip that coin on you? Because so often as hiring managers, we immediately go to social media mm-hmm. of our candidates. Oh, yeah. yeah. So how do you feel about that? Because I think a lot of people put up a red flag and say, hey, what I'm posting in my social life and my personal beliefs should not be factored into my candidacy. Well, um, but I'm going to do the same thing for the clinic. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, look, we've always been strong proponents of this. I mean, going back to 0405, I remember I actually wrote an article on this because, and, and people were like, oh, you can't do it. It's illegal. And it's like, well, it's public. <laughs> I don't see how it's illegal. Uh, now, I, I, I'm i for it, Becky, because, you know, I, again, everybody has their own metrics on what they're going to accept or not, you know, whatever. And I'm not, I'm going to leave that up to you, right? But I do think it's fair game to go and sort of stalk that social media presence and see what the character's like. Uh, Back in in that first article, probably around 0506 that I wrote back in VEDEC days, I believe it was. Um, Anyway, I remember talking about it and saying, look, you know, I'm just trying to see if there's anything, any behaviors, you know, that, that just would really sort of disrupt or disagree with my clinic culture. And, and you know, and look, I'm going to let you decide what that might be or might not. But I do, Becky, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I, I want to know what they're doing and, and whatever. I just, I think that, I, I think it's fair game. Yeah, I do too. I think we have to be careful with legalities there. They can find, you know, if people find out there are certain things from, you know, religion and race and age that you're not allowed to hold against them, right? And we could potentially discover those things on social media. So if you are using that, I want you to be really careful about how you talk about the fact that you use it. But I personally, I'm all over that social media. I want to know if you are starting a riot, I want to know. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to make judgments about you. And I, and that maybe that's not a good thing. And it's a friendly reminder, uh, you know, to monitor your social media and the security <laughs> based right. on what you want people to know. But I think it's an interesting point. And I think that we should remember they're using our social media when they're thinking about hiring us. So let's use their social media when we think about working for them. Yeah, for sure. And, and I know, Becky, I mean, we've seen all of these postings out there, you know, and I'll tell you, I can't discern sometimes what is is a legitimate good job posting versus one that's just trying to conceal the truth. What about you? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like they have those, um, interpretation of houses, right? Like, so like cute little, you know, cottage style home is like, you know, tiny little one bathroom, right? Or like (laughs) little fixer upper, like there's a, you know, I think we have those terms, right? You know, that where it's like, uh, there are certain keywords you hear that you're like, oh gosh, that definitely means it's a nightmare, you know, like flexible work schedule. Oh, you're going to keep me till 7 p.m. You know, (laughs) so looking for a go getter. That's right. So I do so, think must be that, self-motivated. Yeah. I think when you are start using words like that, look at them and say, well, what does that mean? And instead be really specific um, because they think the keywords that we use, um, you know, great team environment. Like most of the time people are going to see through those and say you're hiding something. Um, put your job ad out there. Don't fill it full of fluff. No one cares give me the hourly wage, give me the nuts and bolts that I really need to know. You're going to stand out way more than if you tell me, 
you know, amazing team, no drama working environment because I instantly hear run. Right. And, you know, and I had an, an owner a couple of months ago sort of push back on something I said. I, I was doing a webinar and I'd casually thrown out there saying, look, you know, and if you're looking to hire a new associate, I think you can probably, you know, separate the serious, you know, interviewees or, or entry in, in, people interested in your job from those that are not just by posting the, the dollar figure. Right. Yeah. And so this vet emailed me and he was like, you know, Ernie, I think that was really bad advice because, you know, if you go ahead and tell them, and, and I thought this was a, she, she, she really went into two different directions with her argument. But the first one, she says that if you put the wrong number on there, then you're not competitive. And I'm like, well, right. For that person, you're not competitive. I mean, I, mm. I get it. Right. So, I mean, I, yeah, okay. I can't. And the other one she said is you lose then any negotiation leverage. And I was like, wow. Okay. So we're really back. She's kind of back in the stone ages of negotiation. So will you tell me what you'd like, Becky? How much do you think you're worth? Right. <laughs> I mean, right. You know, it's like, wow, that's really going to get you. And, and in this job market, you just can't, right? So you need wow. to put those numbers out there like Becky and I are saying, because honestly, I don't want people calling up and then you know, us getting all the way to interview and me spending you know an hour on the phone with you. And then you, they suddenly go, well, how much is it? Well, we're offering $75,000. And they're like, okay, gee, thanks. Bye. You know, right. I, mean, I just wasted all that time. Well, that's exactly it. You're wasting everybody's time. And I think that's where, you know, people are pushing back and saying, if you have a competitive wage, then tell me what it is. Right. Um, you should have clear. There is no negotiating wages anymore. There is a clear. There should be a very clear. If you are this, then you fall into this. Then you make this. If you are this and you fall into this and you make this. And that should be across the board. And I think, again, if you don't have good financial management, you're afraid to do that. Yeah. And speaking of which, you need to make sure that you understand the difference between taxable income and pre-tax income. So like benefits like insurance, for example, you know, even some retirement, CE, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can actually sort of limit your tax liability by rolling things into, you know, I, I'd much rather your, your employer pay for your insurance, for example, as opposed to giving you a higher salary with no insurance because you're paying more taxes. I mean, so you guys do need to be a little bit more savvy. I, I do see this still, Becky, you know, from, from some associates and it's not just the, the low hanging fruit like is insurance and so forth, but there's a lot of ways to put some of your compensation into pre-tax dollars. So don't always just focus on that top line compensation. This is your wage. Also, go one layer deeper and say, okay, how does this whole compensation package, you know, look? Yeah. And, and I guess that's what I'm saying about the mission visions values for an individual, because it might not be all about money. For for example, my dollar and per hour need is lower because I have a husband with a full-time federal job and benefits and X, Y, and Z. So I have the benefit to say, I want to work in a place that offers me this kind of right. care and these kind of benefits. And these are, I need the things that I don't already have access to. Um, if I was a single individual or a single mom, or if my husband didn't have a job that was maybe as um, salaried and comfortable. So if it had more variability, then maybe I would know I needed X, Y, and Z. And so I think that's really where, because again, if it's like, we don't have the most competitive wage, but I can absolutely tell you if you have to call in sick because your kid's sick, that is never a problem. We're always right. really family friendly. You can bring your kid here. We've got the, the break room set up for it, whatever it is. That might mean more to you than the dollars per hour. Because like in my house, we're paying our bills, but my husband's job doesn't offer daycare. Right. Um, maybe you're a fit for life kind of person and maybe the job is fairly okay with pay, but they offer free gym membership sure. and you get your lunch guaranteed no matter what you got to go, whatever it is. Like, that's why you're right. Like that transparency 
needs to be there. Money is not everybody's number one. It has to happen, but there are other things. And so if you are a clinic that feels like you can't really pay that living wage or that competitive wage, then do leverage those other benefits. Find the things you can afford um, because there are people out there that will have those needs as well. I think the biggest thing is being super transparent about it and saying, these are our strengths. These are our weaknesses. This is our 10-year plan. This is where we'd like to get to. But right now, this is where we are. That honesty from day one is going to do you so much better than just trying to figure it out with your employees as you go. Wow, I love that. Well, Viewfinders, once again, we have been honest with you and we want to hear what your strengths are. How are you negotiating this hot job market? How are you hiring and retaining the best staff possible? And we really want to hear from you. That's right. You can find us on all the things um, Facebook and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. You can email us at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. And also, you guys, we haven't asked in a long time. If you get an opportunity, just head on over to wherever you're listening. Give us the five stars and a quick few kind words for a review. It helps other people to find this content and this podcast and uh, keeps us coming to you. That's right. Hit us up with those stars. We really appreciate it. Guys, until next week, we can't wait to have another exciting conversation. You guys be safe. Bye. Bye. You did it. <laughs>